welcome to the Easy Yoga Podcast with myself, Geminise, Easy Yoga founder, author, yoga coach, and relationship coach. It is my pleasure to have you here and for you to feel energized, calm, happy, and for you to have the perfect relationship with yourself, your partner, and your family without seeing a family therapist, changing your personality, or leaving your job. You will learn techniques and things to help you guide you through a better life through health, meditation, yoga, journaling, nutrition, and all things yoga for you to have the life you deserve and crave and for you to love yourself on a soul level. Thank you so, so much for being here today. And I am so grateful and so full of love to have you here. Enjoy this next episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode from Easy Yoga, all things relationships, yoga and well-being. And today my special guest is Dana Diaz. Dana studied journalism and psychology at DePaul University. While there's no better teacher than life experience and Dana has had lifelong experiences with narcissistic abuse, her education did give her the ability to accurately verbalise and express how narcissistic abuse creates confusion and conflict with victims. Today, Dana is a proud voice for fellow victims who are unable, afraid, or ashamed to share their experiences. She strives to create awareness and understanding to ensure victims are given the support they need to first understand the situation and then begin the healing process. Her first book, which we will also talk about as well, chronicling her own abusive marriage that lasted nearly three decades, starting as, started as a journal and then she hid under the couch cushion in the basement. So now she speaks about this. So welcome, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, I appreciate it. That's all right, so kind of tell me a bit about your background. What did you, yeah, like. Oh goodness, I think <laughs> I, was I was put here to be a narcissist magnet so that I can do what I'm doing. Um, I was born to a teenage mother um, who didn't want me, she actually had her tubes tied immediately after I was born so that she couldn't have more children. Um, but she, her family felt that she should keep me and she married a man who was uh, the king of all narcissists. But back then, I mean, as a little girl, I had no idea what a narcissist was. I just knew that he was, he was absolutely verbally abusive. He was physically abusive. So, um, you know, it was, it was rough. I mean, some have it rougher and I, I, I don't want to invalidate what I went through, but, um, it was was your biological father. No, this was not my biological father. Um, because my mother and my biological father were so young, you know, I mean, I, I don't blame my biological father, but men are able to, you know, live their lives separately and do their own thing. And and he was only 15 at the time I was conceived. So I don't harbor any negative feelings. We actually have a beautiful relationship now. Amazing. But the stepfather, unfortunately, was in my life since I was a year old. Um, and as far back as I can remember, which is roughly about five or six years old, I, almost every single day, telling me you were never wanted. Nobody's going to ever love you. You're a burden. I shouldn't have to pay for you. You're not even mine. You know, you'll never be part of this family, all these things. And so I grew up hearing this and then the physical abuse started with just grabbing, hit, you know, smacking, hitting and, and, you know, but by the end of my teenage years, you know, there was strangling where I had hand marks around my neck and my head, he'd grab me by the back of my hair and bang my head against the wall, things like that. 
Um, so it was rough. So I obviously that I, I was counting down the days until I was 18, which here um, is a legal adult um, so that I could leave, um, which I did. And I found myself, you know, it, it's lonely out in the world, especially when you feel like you don't have anybody on your side. And, you know, it, it was just hard. And I think that loneliness led me to fall for this guy that honestly, I thought he was a jerk when I met him. <laughs> he reminded me very much of my stepfather. And I mean, the red flag like went up immediately, yeah. like, oh, I'm not going there. I know what these entitled, you know, like bow down to me types are. I'm not going there. But, you know, after a few interactions, he, you know, invited me to hang out and I had nothing better to do. Well, yeah, ended up being with him, marrying him, having a son with him. Um, and I, sh yeah, yeah. So he, he moved very quickly in the beginning of the relationship. Um, it was, I mean, even the first night, you know, we would, you know, when you're getting to know somebody, you share things about your history, your background, all this and that. And there was something that, you know, things he said about a girl he had previously been dating that, you know, and, and he just seemed vindictive and vengeful and just angry. I even, I even remember thinking, gosh, does he have an issue with women? Like, is he angry at all women? <laughs> and, but then when I was talking about my mother and stepfather and things I had gone through, it's like, oh, he's a black sheep too. And, and he understands he always felt emotionally neglected. And, you know, I mean, my God, if I said my favorite ice cream is butter pecan. His favorite ice cream is that, you know, he was, that's called mirroring. And I didn't know what it was, but it was like, we were perfect, you know? And I thought, oh, I must misjudged him or maybe he had a bad day. And, you know, you start enabling and excusing things because you, you know, he was promising me everything. He was promising me forever. And, and I mean, it, it moves so fast. I met his parents within a week his sister within a few weeks, he had me moved into his apartment within six weeks. Wow. Yeah. We got a puppy together within a month. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was a lot really fast, but he had me, I mean, he was speaking these words that it's meant to be, you're the one, all these things. And when you are me and all, you know, coming from where I came from, all I ever wanted was love. I wanted somebody yeah. to love me. I wanted a person that I could trust and a best friend. And, you know, all these beautiful things that we think about when we think about, you know, a romantic relationship. But I mean, I would have been fine if my mother had just loved me, but I didn't even have that. And it's just such a wound to your heart that you are so vulnerable. Um, so again, I, w I was in this, um, you know, his parents were lovely, which is the thing. They were so, they were almost too perfect. They were like yeah. a 1950s television couple, just perfect. So polite, so courteous, accepting, you know, just, just lovely people. And I thought, oh, I, I, he can't be that bad. You know, how does somebody you know, angry and all these things I'm seeing come from that. He, I'm just misreading it again, excusing everything. 
And I wanted parents too. And that was the other part of it. I loved his family and I had always wanted a big sister and he had a big sister and, you know, I just got all these ideas in my head that we'll have a house in the white picket fence and it'll be Mm -hmm. fine. He'll, he'll get better with age. He'll mellow out. It'll be, he'll, I'll do what I can and he'll learn to love me more. And, but it was the constant push and pull and it, it, it never ended. It, It was there from the beginning and it was there. It was worse at the end. It just, it was, he would love me. And when he loved me, I mean, he loved me. It mm-hmm. was almost overdone, but, you know, we couldn't watch TV together without him caressing my cheek and looking at me and the sweet words and always, you know, playing with our feet and all this lovey-dovey stuff. But when it was bad, it was bad. It was bad. You know, I had a crowbar swung at my head. I got locked in a room once and he wouldn't let me out. I had to actually break the wall. <laughs> to get him to, I, I, it's ridiculous. The things that happened, you know, there was, you know, I do talk about these things in my book in, uh, you know, I elaborate, but there was a situation with prescription drugs that he was trying to make it look like I was committing suicide and even called (laughs) both our sets of parents to tell them that I was doing that and that I was unfit to be a mother. He was, you know, kind of setting me up. Mm. Um, you know, telling other people that I, I have mental health problems, all these things. And it was just, and I stayed, I, I don't know what to say, except for that I was, he would lure me back in every time he felt like he was losing me, he lured me back in. And when I want to be clear about too, when we talk about narcissistic abuse, everybody knows what verbal abuse is. Everybody know, you know, and verbal abuse, I feel like goes in line with emotional and psychological abuse because you're yeah. affected in every way. Um, physical abuse, we know what that is. Now, narcissistic abuse, what makes it different is not only that a narcissist is abusing you and a narcissist, for those who aren't familiar, <laughs> it's very complicated and people spend decades researching and compiling definitions. But on a very basic level, these are people that truly feel that they are um, uh, superior to others or deserve um, exaltation um, to fulfill their ego. They they need to feel important and superior and they use manipulation, power, control um, to, to get that, you know, it's kind of like a, a, an addict with drugs. They, they need it. They feed off of it. That's why they call the victim the supply because you are supplying them with their drug every time you bow down to them and serve them in some way. Um, so that's what we're dealing with. And some are overt, um, overt narcissists like my stepfather that they really are just unbelievable. They will say what they say and you can't believe they've said that and, and they don't care. And, um, they're very arrogant about it and they know everything. Whereas my X was a covert narcissist. Um, covert being they come off as sort of humble and pitiful. You almost feel sorry for them. Like they'll make remarks like, yeah, I'll never have that, or nobody will ever like me. Nobody will, ever, you know, so it's hidden in there, but they still 
you know, behind closed doors will overpower you and manipulate you and control you so that they can feel it. They're more insecure. They want to fulfill their ego. So they don't feel that insecurity. Um, so with narcissistic abuse, not only are you being abused by a narcissist, but it's sort of all encompassing. They are verbally abusing you, emotional, psychological, sometimes, not all the times they are physically abusing you. Um, they often financially abuse you because narcissists and money go hand in hand. They love money. They're greedy. They like status symbols, whether it's cars, watches, clothes, whatever, name brand, expensive brands, um, and they don't like to share their money. Um, many people have the same experience I do that they don't even like if you go to the doctor and, and, and have a test because it costs money. They don't care about your health. They don't want you to go to the doctor. They don't want you to go to the dentist. You're not supposed to spend what they consider their money, which is any money that comes into the household. Um, so financial abuse, which I absolutely have some stories about that. There's also sexual abuse. Um, not everybody is sexually abused by a narcissist. Um, and unfortunately, it's not just what you think of, like some people think where it's, you know, an incest situation where it's a, a, a caretaker, uncle, mother, father, sister, you know, sibling, you know, in my situation, it was my ex-husband. Yes, we were legally married. And yes, I, you think that it's consensual um, when you're engaging in that way with your spouse, your legal spouse, but I focus on the word legal at, at a certain point in our marriage, I, I, I was done, yeah. but we had a child and I just, you know, people say, if it was that bad, why do you stay? That's a whole other topic for another day, but you know, it's not realistic for many people to just walk away. And if you are being abused, a lot of people are safe to walk away or they don't have the financial um, means to walk away. I, I had my reasons. I stayed. I thought I was doing the right thing, honestly, keeping our family unit together. And it wasn't awful a hundred percent of the time, but yes, I was done. I didn't want him to touch me. I didn't want to engage with him, but there were a couple times in our marriage, um, you know, and I, I just, I talk about them at length in the book, but you know, where he, um, he had his way with me and, and I, was not consenting, but I let it happen because what was, I didn't know what else to do, but yeah. it's very, um, it's awful. And, and I, 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 my heart goes out to anybody that has been sexually abused or raped because, you know, to have that, and especially by my husband, um, I, I don't know what else to say. This is yeah. the person you're supposed to trust and who you put your life in their hands and, and they just throw it away. Um, it just kind of kills a part of your soul. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's very complicated to be in a relationship with a narcissist, whether it's a romantic one or whether it's a parent relationship. Like I've had, I, I've even had a, a friend relationship where it took me 15 years to realize that she was a narcissist and I'm still going through some of the issues with that. And, and depending on the relationship, the abuse happens in different ways. But I think in a romantic relationship, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, partner, whatever, it's 
there's more betrayal there because yeah. there's like I said, the sexual and financial, you know, all these other things. And you have the complication if you have children with them that you're trying to protect them from the things yeah. happening, the tension and they're hearing and seeing everything yeah. or you think, or maybe they're not, but you don't want them exposed to that. And you don't want them to grow up and be narcissists either if they're modeling that behavior. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where does a narcissist kind of come from is it that they have had trauma and then they become it or is it just you know <laughs> that's actually a debate um you know i can only speak from my experience and from what i believe and i know there are people that are going to disagree because i mean i've heard i've heard it's genetic i don't personally believe that yeah. um I've heard aliens install software into their brains when they're kidnapped. I'm not kidding. I, I'm having a rough time with that one. <laughs> but, um, from, you know, again, to take like, you know, mounds of research and condense it in yeah. my experience and again, very basically, it kind of comes from two different directions. Yeah. I feel that, you know, sort of what you were saying that like my ex-husband, I feel that he felt emotionally neglected mm. as a child. Now, again, yeah. I, my, my dynamic with his parents was different, but they didn't raise me. I wasn't their child. I didn't grow up in their home. So I can't say whether they did or didn't, but he felt um, that his sister was the, the proverbial golden child and he was just sort of dismissed. He was mm -hmm. always just shooed away. You know, nobody paid much attention. The attention was all on his sister. So I feel like, you know, again, going back to that feeling of importance that it just made him very insecure and gave him such low self-esteem that he, in his adult life, felt that he wants to feel important. He he, But he was getting it in, unfortunately, you know, through narcissistic abuse. Yeah. Um, whereas somebody else, um, and I'm thinking specifically of actually the person that I, I've been dealing with the last few years, this friend or former friend, not friends anymore. Um, she was overly like her, her self-esteem and ego were overly inflated by her parents, or at least one of her parents, I should say. So she really went out into the world thinking that she deserved, you know, when I say exaltation, I mean, you know, I think she thinks she's the next best thing, you know, yeah. to whatever higher beings there are. So, and I've seen parents do that not very often because we all want our kids to have a good self-esteem. We encourage, we support, but I'm talking like when, what? It, it, I don't even have the words, but just over inflating them to where they really, really, truly think they're superior. Yes, <laughs> you yeah. know? Whereas, like I said, my ex didn't, he felt so far on the other end that he just wanted to feel that. So he got it in that way. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of been my experience. And I'm sure, yeah. like I said, there's other opinions and, and there are many, many very you know, big debates on, on how exactly it happens, but yeah, um, yeah. either way, people, 
people experience life and they take their experiences and they enact them very differently because there are a lot of people that, you know, I mean, abuse victims, I can speak for like myself that, yeah, you've been neglected and used and abused and whatever, but you go out into the world thinking I would never put that on somebody. I never want yeah. somebody to feel that way. So you're more empathetic and yeah, like, yeah. would never want somebody to endure what you have. So it's interesting, I yeah. guess. I, but at the end of the day, where it comes from, I'm not sure that we could prevent it so much. And just, um, you know, I think we all do the best that we can. And unfortunately, people are going to be people just like, where does a yeah. serial killer come from? Yeah. I don't know. I just steer clear of them. <laughs> if I can. I mean, <laughs> Because I had a friend years ago, uh, we were actually best friends and she was a narcissist. I think she still is. I just came away in the end, but it was all of, I, she was actually a friend from work and, and we would do everything together. She was a few years older than me, uh, but she had an abusive husband. And um... at that point, like when we first met, she was going through a divorce and I was there for her. But in the end, it ended up being the other way. So she would, I don't know if I would meet her at lunchtime from work, uh, she'd say, oh, can you just pop to the shop and get me some milk or something while I'm passing the shop? I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. But then there'd be other things as well that I'd just be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that. And actually then during, because we were both veterinary nurses, veterinary techs, I think you call them out there. But um, yes. we were both that. And and I then, she, I'm younger than her, but I then got the job as head of veterinary nurse and she didn't like that. And even though she didn't want the job, she didn't like the fact that I was older. Uh, I was younger than her, but I had a superior job. I had 10 people under me at that point. And we just came to blows quite a bit. And I was never one to talk or shout out and, and like, be yes, 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 yes. And actually she was the one that changed me because it got to the point where I was just like, I can't do this anymore, just stop. And I remember we were in theater together and we were cleaning, cleaning down everything. And we were just, I was just shouting like back at her, like really shouting and nobody came in, like nobody wanted to know what was going on. And from there, it was just like, nope, I'm not having anything else to deal with you. And I think she's still in the same position now. She doesn't really, well, from what I've heard from other friends as well, is that, yeah, she's still that person. She wants to feel like, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me all the time. And mm -hmm. it's like, no, I'm not giving you that power anymore of you can control me. And I never thought I would be that person, but I was, and that changed me completely. Yeah. And that was just a friend. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so you can imagine, and it, it that's interesting that you experienced it that way and good for you for setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I even say in my book, I I'm pretty sure I've written two more books. I've written the prequel oh, and the sequel. So I can't remember which book, but I think it's the book <laughs> that's published already. But I say that I, I hated the person he was turning me into yes. because they do push you. Now I was that girl too. I would be coming from my childhood. I, I wanted everyone to like me. I, I, I was looking for love because I couldn't get it from my own mother whose womb I came from. So I was always that. Yes, yes, yes. Even if it wasn't good for me or I didn't want to. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And you know, narcissists do love that, but yeah, I, I, I would lash out. Now they have a term for that. Now they call that reactive abuse. And I don't like that term because I don't think I'm abusing that person back. I think that's yeah. just 
being pushed and forced to set your boundary with them. But unfortunately, when, when, you know, like you're, you're of a healthy and sound mind that you were able to set that, that boundary with her, even if it, you know, you had to be a little forceful about it, Mm -hmm. but you know, like me, I always had trouble doing that because growing up, I, I wasn't allowed to have feelings. I was punished for having opinions. I couldn't, you know, so I stifled everything. Mm -hmm. And so I had so much trouble saying no to him or saying, you can't treat me that way. And I think that's why, you know, I joke about being a narcissist magnet, but I think that's why I've had so many encounters with them and I've tolerated it because that's how I was built. But now since I've been free and and decided no more, (laughs) I have been setting boundaries like that and just saying, no, that I I don't appreciate you speaking to me that way. Yeah. This is how I, you know, I need you to respect me because now I respect myself too. And Mm -hmm. I've lost a lot of people and I realized how many people were actually using me or, or not. They just didn't care about me the way I thought they did, but I'd rather lose them and know that the people in my life are people who do love me and truly do respect me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The friend relationship. Yeah. Like I said, I've, I've been going through that. It starts as sort of a jealousy. It looks like jealousy, but then it rears this ugly head that they just will not, you know, they will not let you have more than them. Mm, And that is a narcissist thing. They don't like to see you win. They don't want you to have success. They don't want you to achieve anything more than what they have. And if you do, boy, you better watch out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And I how would you me, kind I of know? Yeah. <laughs> now we are going to go to a short break. See you the other side. Hey, hey, Easy Yoga listeners, listen up. Get ready to upgrade your yoga sessions with Complete Unity Yoga. Complete Unity Yoga is a family-run business founded by two yoga teachers specializing in premium sustainable yoga equipment. They sell everything you need for yoga and meditation from beginner to advanced. Their best-selling non-slip complete grip yoga mat is here to help you make your yoga and fitness sessions even more enjoyable. And I have one and I absolutely love it it unrivaled grip so you feel more confident and enjoy non-slip yoga sessions every time including sweaty workouts check out their popular essential yoga sets a fantastic complete yoga kit that will bring a smile to your yoga sessions shop now and save 20% and get a free acupressure mat valued at 55 pounds with every order over 130 pounds when you use this exclusive easy yoga podcast listener discount code Gemma 20 that's complete unityyoga.com forward slash Gemma. Go and check it out. And I'll see you on the map very soon. How would you start to heal from this? So say you, you've thought, right, okay, I'm not going to be this person anymore. You're not going to throw me around or do whatever. How can you then start to move through the thoughts and feelings that keep coming up so you don't feel that you're being abused anymore? or get out of the friendship marriage kind of thing. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. It's very hard for victims to get to the point where they're not excusing it, enabling it, or where they're not afraid because Mm -hmm. fear plays a big part of it. People remain in these relationships because they have a fear. And 
I'm not just talking about some physical consequence that they're going to beat you if, if you this or, but there are a lot of um, threats that the narcissists hold over your head. And it doesn't matter. Like I said, if it's a parent, a partner, a friend, um, there is something, some fear holding you, you there. So I, I know from my experience and from talking to other people, when there's going to be something different for everybody. There's going to be that thing that happens that that's just the last straw, even though there have been a million before it, mm -hmm. that is it. You know, you want to be done. If you can safely remove yourself from that person and separate yourself in some way, the best thing to do. And I know it's so difficult is to, to go no contact. You, you just cannot, there is no point in wasting your time or breath. There's no conversation you can have to resolve things. Narcissists don't change. They are not self-aware. They don't care. They think that they're perfectly fine. So they are not going to change and you're not going to be the one to save them and change them. Yeah. So you need to just save yourself and walk away. Now, going back to the self-respect for me, that what what happened with me and in, in my previous marriage with my ex is that I became very ill um, during the last few years of our marriage. I knew something was terribly wrong. I didn't know what though, because it was, you know, too many headaches, too many stomach aches, but then I was getting dizzy. I was blacking out. My hands were going numb, um, just different things, but a lot of different things. Mm. Um, you know, um, my heartbeats were irregular. I had blurry vision. I mean, just random things. So the long and short of that was even though he said I couldn't go to the doctor, he didn't want to pay for tests. I finally just got to the point where something pretty awful happened with us. We had another fight. That was kind of the breaking point for me. November 3rd, 2018. I'll never wow. forget the night. It's sad. Um, just had a terrible fight. Um, he had his way with me sexually and I just, I, I couldn't, I just was, I couldn't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I could not do it anymore. From that night, two weeks later, I had dropped to 93 pounds. I wow. was skeletal. Wow. I was, this sounds funny, but urinary frequency. I got up November 4th and the first, first hour I was awake, I peed 14 times. And I'm sorry if this is too much information for no, anyone that's uncomfortable. <laughs> But that's unusual 14 times. And I'm not just talking about little drippy, drippy, you know, piddle. I'm, I was full blown peeing 14. And, and it wasn't every, this just started the morning after this, you know, it, it's like, it, it's like something just clicked in my body and everything just it, complete havoc. But when, when I'm 93 pounds, two weeks later, I mean, I've always been small, but I always stayed around 110 to 115 yeah. pounds. So 93 pounds. I mean, I remember looking in the mirror and see like my bones and people had been telling me that I looked sickly and people were looking at me that saw me regularly weekly or every other week that you could just see their face. So it was starting to scare me. So I did start going to the doctor and getting tested and um, you know, that was a whole rigmarole, but 
by a year later, I finally had a neurologist and a functional medicine doctor um, kind of put together that this had to do with, um, they didn't know what was going on at home or how I grew up, but they said, this is stress-related. This is common with victims of abuse, but we need to get your cortisol tested. Cortisol is sort of the sister hormone to adrenaline. Cortisol pumps through your body when you're going through stress, um, specifically when you're going through fight or flight, you know, where you feel like, you know, this deathly fear and you're either going to run or you're going to fight, you know, fight the lion that's chasing you. And this is very common in abuse victims. So um, we have Mayo Clinic here in the U.S., which is, you know, the supreme, you know, medical hospital for anything that, you know, the rest of the hospitals and, and medical world can't figure out. Um, so they had my cortisol tested with Mayo Clinic and Mayo Clinic thought they compromised the lab um, swabs because they couldn't believe the test results. So they had me retested. Um, and to give an idea, your cortisol levels should be between 100 and six or 700, depending on the day. And they test you five times in a 24 hour period, including when you're sleeping in the middle of the night. So it should be between one and six to 700. My levels were at 2,500 or higher, 2,500 or oh. higher, 24 seven. Wow. So what happened to my body, my body that, that night that I said, it's like a switch went off. I was going into these sort of autoimmune flares. They, I was having all these autoimmune conditions um, and I developed what they call upper airway resistance syndrome. Um, it's a sleep disorder, but a lung disease all in one. Yet the neurologist says it's like having COPD, the pulmonary disorder and fibromyalgia all at the same time. So imagine the symptoms of all of these things. <laughs> that is what I was going through. They, the doctor looked at me and said, you're like a 90 year old lady with all your medical problems. Um, so, you know, they said, yes, we can put you on all these pills for the symptoms, but you need to change your life situation. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I can't, I can't. I, my son had actually come to me at one point and pro made me promise him, you know, he said, I know you're going to leave dad at some point, but he's going to make life a living hell and I don't want to be here for it. So wait until mm -hmm. I'm done with my high school and, and move away to, you know, technical school. And I promised him I would, because that's my son. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, yeah. I'm not going to put him through anything um, that we both know is going to happen. So I tried to stay, but I just got sicker and sicker until one day I had a follow-up appointment with the doctor and he said, your heart rate, your, I, I could barely move. I was literally trudging around like my legs. If I sat for more than five or 10 minutes, the stiffness, I, it was unbelievable. It would take me a few minutes just to stand up because everything pained so badly. Yeah. The doctor just said, your body is on minimal survival levels. You're, you're shutting down. Your body is shutting down. And I just started crying. I said, I don't want to die. And he said, he said, I don't know what to do. You're the only one that can change it. And that's when something clicked in my brain that I'd never been allowed. I'd never even thought about putting myself first, but I had to. 
because nobody else was going to do it. I didn't have a mother that was going to, you know, be there and support me and, and tell me what I should do. I didn't have a father to do that. And, you know, at this point, my my ex-husband's mother and father, who I had been close to, unfortunately, his father had passed away a while back and his mother sort of detached from me, which mm-hmm. had been the, the cause of this argument that we had had that kind of flipped the switch in me because that night um, my ex had admitted to me that he had been telling his family lies about me, atrocious oh. lies so that they would not like me. He said he wanted them to hate me because he knew that they liked me better than they liked him. And he wasn't going to have that. So it was just so alarming that he knew he could affect me by removing a family that I had been a part of for 20 some years, took away the sister that I had and his sister, the mother I had and his, he just took everything away from me and now he was taking my health and so I was left with myself and I said okay I have to take care of myself I have to love myself and respect myself enough because I have a son and I want to see him graduate from school and I want to see him get married and have babies and all this stuff and this man who does not care about me is not worth my life so that is what I did and I did start keeping that journal um and the journal you know, it was just a random, I don't know if anyone who has children that understands when they come home from school um, at the end of the school year, and they have all these notebooks that they've only half used. And I'm one of those mothers that would tear out the used pages because there was perfectly good paper in there. No, that we could no, <laughs> It was one of these notebooks that he had scribbled all over the front cover of it, you know, and, and so nobody would ever think anything of it. But that's what I used because I needed to have a record. I thought if something happens to me, I need somebody to know what's going on in this house. And also it was because I was being gaslighted. You know, I would start defending myself and he'd say, I never said that. That never happened. You're crazy. You're delusional. You don't know what's what. And I try to, I I would want to know if, if my entire reality is not what I'm seeing it as. I want to be aware if I need that kind of help. So I started keeping this notebook and just recording the date and time and just briefly in a sentence or two, he Mm -hmm. said this or did this or whatever it was. And yeah, I hid it in the basement under the couch cushion because I thought nobody will ever think twice. Nobody will ever find it. He didn't go down there. I had to do what I had to do to to keep myself safe and from being discovered. Um, But the irony is, is that when the COVID pandemic um, came along. I had just spoken to an attorney um, secretly about filing for divorce. And she gave me some homework, things I had to prepare before we could file. Um, And it wasn't, but a week later, we had a shelter in place in our state, meaning we weren't supposed to leave the house, you know, unless we needed to go, you know, to the store for Mm -hmm. food. So I was locked in the house with this man. Mm. And um, so I just started, you know, I I couldn't work. So I thought, well, let me start elaborating on these stories. So I pulled this journal out. And I mean, there were pages and pages of scribble. 
but I, I was just sure something was going to happen while we were locked in that house together. I, I remember telling a friend, I felt like I was on that um, television show Survivor. Like, <laughs> I don't know who was going to come out of this alive, but, and I'm, I can laugh now, which, which is thank goodness, because I would have been crying back then. But I started typing out, elaborating on and some of the bigger things that I had recorded in the notebook, the bigger traumatic events. And that's eventually what, you know, came to be the book that's published. Um, because I thought I can't possibly be the only person going through this. Yeah. There has to be somebody else. And I wish that I had known mm-hmm. that I wasn't alone. Um, but I mean, this man had me um, very isolated. He didn't like any of my friends made it very difficult for me if I went out. So eventually I just had no friends because it was easier to keep the peace. And for my son, I wanted peace. Um, family, he really, I, I, he, I, he just didn't like any of my family. So we didn't go to my family for anything, not even holidays, barely. And he didn't like me talking to them. He didn't like me on my computer at home. He didn't like me on my phone at home. He didn't like me reading books because it was taking attention away from him. He didn't like me watching television too much, only what he wanted to watch. You know, it was clearly that he didn't want me to be influenced by anything or anyone but him so that he could keep me. So there was no way for me to have known that narcissism or that you know, was a thing or that I was even being abused um, because I had nothing to compare it to and nothing to relate to. I I mean, he wouldn't even let me talk on the phone in the house. He, oh, there were all these rules. And if I talked, if I stepped out onto the porch to take a call, I was accused of having sex with whoever was on the phone. If I tried to go to church on Sunday, I was having sex with the priest after mass, you know, the 90 year old priest or what I just, it was suffocating. Oh, you have no idea. It just was, like I said, it's all encompassing. It takes over. So all these people that say, why didn't you leave? There's a multitude of reasons, but you know, I thought I was doing the right thing for my son when it all comes down to it. Yeah. You know? And where are you now? Are you completely, well, you're not healed, but you're getting that. I am very, I think healing is a long process. I think what people forget is that mental and physical are combined. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have physical ailments, it affects your, your mental health. And when you have mental health issues, which abuse absolutely gives you some of those Um, you're going to have physical symptoms. So it's not just as easy as coming to terms. I wish it was of coming to terms with things to heal because I have come to terms. That's, that's good. Like I said, I can laugh about some of these things now, which tells me I'm good. I'm past it. I'm over that, those particular things. My body, unfortunately has not allowed that because um, I've been out for been over three years now safe out meaning safe and and no contact but my nervous system it just it's got a whole other you know I still get digestive issues uh, you know stomach issues if I'm 
if I feel triggered or if I'm in a, my anxiety, I've never had anxiety like I have now, but I think it's because I'm so aware. I'm hyper aware of people and, and things like if, if something feels off or if a person is giving me, I hate to sound strange, but if a person gives me a a negative vibe, it's like my body is like, I'll sweat profusely in my armpits and I get stomach aches and these headaches. It's kind of like when I was a kid, same thing. So at least I'm not exhibiting the full array. Like when I was in the abusive situations and the insomnia has been the worst, but I think it's because I couldn't sleep for so many years because I was, things would happen at night. If I tried to go to sleep, that's when he'd catch me off guard. So I'm just now in the last couple months able to actually sleep through the night, you know, but I still need some sleep aids, but you know, there's a lot, but if I can sleep, And, you know, I take care of my body, I'm healthy, you know, I think it's important to exercise and to get out into nature and just be true to yourself in so many ways, you know, it's okay to wear those clothes and listen to those music, you know, this music and and I know this sounds silly and basic, but as a victim of abuse, those things were restricted, they didn't want you listening to that music or wearing that or a lipstick or whatever. Being true to myself in those ways is a form of self-care. Taking care of my body, staying healthy is a form of self-care. And all of that is helping the mindful part of the healing process. Um, For me, I'm a writer. The lung thing, um, you know, it's hard for me to go and know, you know, uh, every Thursday, I'm going to sit with a counselor or a therapist. Mm -hmm. Talk therapy is very effective for some people. It's not for me. It gives me anxiety to think that I'm going to go on that day and actually talk about this particular thing. And with, uh, you know, I have post-traumatic stress and it's just too much for me, but writing therapy and actually writing my book um, or my books, because now I'll have two more coming out in the next year has been tremendously healing. Mm. And I tell people, you don't need to write a book. You don't even need to have a journal, but even if you're just in a situation where you feel dysregulated, you know, you don't need an appointment with somebody, take out any piece of paper and just write, don't think, just write, let it all out. Even if it's not polite, even if you feel bad that that thought has run through your mind, because there, there are times I wish he would, you know, I remember him leaving the house on a motorcycle and wishing that something would happen to him. It's not nice. And that's not who I am, but it is what it is. Don't limit yourself, write it out, write it out, just let it out because there is something in getting it out of your head and onto paper that it sort of validates, you know, how you feel and we need that. And if we can't get that from, you know, from the security of talking to somebody else or because, you know, our appointment with the therapist isn't until next Thursday, that's an instant way you can get that out. And music has been very healing too, because a lot of times the lyrics or the melody will express how you're feeling for you if you don't have the words and it's okay to just cry it out. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And what are two takeaway points from today's conversation? 
Hold Two on. takeaway points. I know I'm supposed to have all this wisdom and I, I don't. So we'll just go yeah. off the cuff. Two takeaway points. Um, Again, I think in so many ways, listen to your body. That would be the first one. Um, Listen to your body in the way that, again, if, if you're feeling something off of somebody, like I said, with my ex, I just right off the bat, I mean, I, I, he wasn't my kind of a person it's okay. We don't all have to get along in the world. We don't all have to click like we do with some people, but you're going to click with some and, and not others. Listen to your gut. Um, as far as people listen to your body when it's reacting to people in situations, because usually it'll lead you in the right direction. Um, goodness, a second one, I'm supposed to have all this sage <laughs> wisdom, like Yoda in star Wars. Um, takeaway points, I think self-respect, you can't force somebody to have self-respect. Something has to happen. I never had it until about three years ago, four years ago. Um, but it is so, I want to say it's okay to love yourself and respect yourself Mm -hmm. as somebody who grew up being diminished and squashed in every way possible, feeling good about myself or about something that I had done felt conceited. And it's not, it's okay to love yourself and take care of yourself. You have to, if you want to have a healthy life and healthy relationships. Oh, I love those. And where can we find you? What's your website or your social media channels or where can we find your books? Yeah, absolutely. Um, website, DanaSDiaz.com. I'm sure you'll put it in your links there. Um, I am on Facebook. I am on Instagram. I kind of play with TikTok a little bit here and there. Um, but definitely you can find me on the social media. Um, book is anywhere online that you can buy a book. Um, most people are going to Amazon, there's Barnes and Noble, wherever it is, it's there. We're working on getting it on bookshelves, but um, it is available in ebook or print book. So um, definitely check that out. And if you go to my website, there's also a link on there to buy the book. And that is the one that is about my 25 year relationship with my ex. And I'll have two more to come, one about my childhood and one about that friend that we were talking about. Um, yeah, that's that's gonna be the next one. I've heard it's gonna be juicy, so we'll see. Yay, it will be. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being so open and honest and raw and real on this. It's been incredible. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so, so much for being here with me today. It means the world to me and my heart is so full of gratitude right now. If you are feeling pulled to, I would love you to leave a review over on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever they're called, or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from, whichever platform you are on. Leave a review, even do a five-star Uh, rating if you fancy it and yes go and follow me over on instagram at gemma.haley.niece or i'm on linkedin as gemma niece so thank you so so much for being here and always reach out to me i'm always have my dms open as again instagram at gemma.haley.niece or linkedin or go on my website which is www.gemmaniece.com so thank you so much and i will see you again next week